We apologize in advance. Today's recording quality isn't quite uh, what we strive for. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, uh, but it is still intelligible, and we hope you'll enjoy. Thanks very much for listening. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Hello, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Harlem. It's a wonderfully beautiful day. Mm, I'm Seth Rodney. I am the opinions editor at the Hyperallergic Online Magazine, and I'm speaking to you from a sunny and almost cloudless Newburgh, New York. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to think about things out loud and together. Um, and we are still in our long-running conversation about transitions, and we've taken that a lot of directions. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Um, today's podcast is going to be in two parts, so this will be part one, and uh, obviously you can pick up part two next week. Uh, so I actually wanted to... And I'll explain the, the segue into forgiveness, if you'll give me a second, to tell a, a mm -hmm. really story about something, an interaction I had with my youngest son uh, earlier this week. Um, and to sort of get your read on that and, um, and then also, you know, kind of talk about it in relation to forgiveness. So um, I, my philosophy when it comes to talking about race and having my two, well, my very old my much older son, my adult son now, and my youngest son, is that uh, I do that uh, pretty early as soon as they're able to start asking questions about it um, because I don't want to leave them uh, unarmored to deal mm. with the, the just kind of the assault that they are going to be under by the culture when it comes to race. Mm. My feeling about that hasn't really, well, my feeling about it has changed, but my approach has not changed. Um, and my, so my youngest son, um, when he, he used to go to a school in Fullerton, uh, not a large black population of the school, but a diverse school minus that. So a large Hispanic population, large Asian population, plenty of white kids, of course, too, and a variety mm -hmm. of, um, he had a, a first girl he had in his class that was a young black girl. They came into the class later. And the way he described her uh, he to me was the girl the, with the fancy hair, fancy the girl with hair. the fancy hair. And I, remember <laughs> I, remember and I, I loved that that was the way he thought of her, right? Not that, I mean, she was different. So like he could see the difference, right? It's not about like this whitewashed sameness. It's not about that. It's just about like, this was the most identifying trait about her. She had this like fancy hair is very different than his, his hair. Um, and earlier this week, um, he, my son is into this game called Among Us, which is incredibly popular with kids and probably adults with a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a pointed way. Maybe I do a little bit. Let's be honest. So, and he has this stuffed animal. And it's a very, uh, it's not quite black, but it's a very, very dark brown Among Us plushy stuffed toy. Mm -hmm. And my wife, Molly, asked him what the name of the plushie was. And he's like, I don't know. Um, Black Lives Matter. Oh. And so the name of the plushie was, you know, obviously BLM. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that bothered me. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't mocking it. So, like, this is not, he well, wasn't making fun of it. Or, that. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. not, not at all. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've talked about race a lot on the podcast. I don't want to hijack the whole conversation. I don't want it to all be about that. Nothing, no, nothing along those lines. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem better to me. Like the, 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 the fact that racial sorting is, has become so potent in the culture that the way that my eight year old son has begun to absorb that is the social movement. Now I prefaced the conversation the way that I did, because I am in no way, shape or form uh, bashful or, reserved and talk and talking to my youngest son about race and sort mm-hmm. of kind of the bullshit that goes on around that. Obviously I, I changed my language for that. Um, and I was not, uh, I was not bashful uh, about doing that with my oldest son. And he, you know, is, um, doesn't seem to be, uh, it seemed to be helpful for him when he was going through, you know, the various things he was going through when he was in a teenager and a young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my question about forgiveness is, you know, when do we get to that point as a country, as a culture, like when can we forgive our, our sins around that? Now, maybe we say not yet. Maybe we say not enough people have acknowledged that history. Maybe it's, these are all, these are all practical questions that I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems to me that, secularity has a problem with forgiveness and that religions do a much better job at training <laughs> us in, in, in the rhetoric of forgiveness. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, now the performance is a different thing, but at mm-hmm. least as an aspiration, mm-hmm. you know, to forgive is an aspiration in Christianity, um, different language around it in Islam, different mm-hmm. language around it in Buddhism, different language mm-hmm. around it in Hinduism, but it is an aspiration. It is something to aspire to. Where is aspirational forgiveness in modern American secular progressive culture? Interesting. Oh. Interesting. I think it. one piece of it might be, well, I think it is located in restorative justice. I think it is there. Bingo. Um, Hmm? So can you, okay, so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to preface because I, I want to watch my emotional response. You seem dismissive of the question when you laughed, when I said, no, I was laughing at the religion part. And uh, no, no, actually I, what no, you no. do is answer, not dismissive, just like when I think of people who call themselves religious and I watch them not forgive or mime the words. So when no, you no, said performative, I, mean. I thought you took it, you took it, you answered that. Quite well, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, no, no. The, 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 the laugh actually helped me. I actually added the word rhetoric because of that. So I, mm-hmm. I do want to be careful with it. I don't think that religious people are by their nature more forgiving. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely, I, the, the reflex to identify hypocrisy mm-hmm. in, in people who are religious um, mm-hmm. seems very ready at hand for people who mm-hmm. like, with progressive politics, mm-hmm. but same ready at hand recognition of mm-hmm. 
uh, hypocrisy doesn't seem to be ready at hand when it comes to it. So you, you had answered restorative justice. Can you explain? So I, I, I am familiar with that movement, but can you explain for the listeners what exactly restorative justice is after? Is after as, sure. as opposed to retributive justice, for example. So exactly. <laughs> so restorative justice, I wrote it down. Just give me one second. Because um, I wanted to... Um, oh, did I write it on this one? So restorative justice is an approach that... Wow, I totally... Apologies for the sound of the... Um, the papers, but so restorative justice is a system of criminal justice which focuses on rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large. So rather than simply throwing someone in jail and then they be let on parole, that there's there are there are programs and things where offenders are working with victims to find a way to bring some kind of less punitive way of approaching. Um, Punishment, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to crimes committed. And, and, and the idea is that the, is, is the emphasis is less on punishment and more on reintegration of the person with the community. Thank you the for that. The idea yes. being mm-hmm. that whatever they, crime they committed, which certainly in the eyes of the legal system mm-hmm. is, uh, is punishable, is, is merit being put away. Mm-hmm. The, the people behind and, and proponents of restorative justice would think differently about that. They think that actually that crime that was committed in essence causes a rift between the individual and the community and they want to yes. heal that rift. Well mm. said. Thank you for adding that. Sure. Absolutely. So so that's one way, but I don't think that's a very widespread um, sensibility. Agreed. I think Agreed. it's very new. When I first heard it, I was on my way to um Penn State for a series of programs related to um, digital archiving. And it was an interesting thing because it was around the time where uh, there were issues at Penn State with um, covering up the rape that was mm-hmm. going on on campus. Mm-hmm. And and so the, the professor who I drove upstate with, she and I were talking about it, and she said, well, it would be good if people would actually admit that they actually do something. That way, restorative justice can take place. And I said, well, what's restorative justice? Mm-hmm. And an inkling about a little bit about what it might be about, but then she broke it down. And I was thinking about it for today's conversation around the the non-apology mm-hmm. has, has taken up a lot of social space where I may have done something to someone somewhere. <laughs> um, and if I did offend someone, I didn't mean it. So there's, so it, it, it by, by the structure itself, it stops you from having an honest conversation about restorative justice, right? Or anything resembling, thank you for admitting that you did this. <laughs> Do you know that kind of thing? So I've been thinking about the, the, the usefulness of forgiveness. And I think, so what I, what I, um, heard was, I was reading some articles this morning, forgiveness means giving up the suffering of the past and being able, being willing to forge ahead with far greater potential for inner freedom. That's very individual. So it doesn't involve that community aspect, right? And immediately I went to Dylan Roof, and then up my last point, who shot those nine black elderly people who were there praying one night and they invited him in and they shot and killed them. So, but how those, the relatives of the victims responded during the hearing 
the sentencing hearing, they were very, I forgive you, one after the other. And they said it in different ways. I'll ne- you took someone away from me that meant a lot to me. I'll never be able to talk to her or him again. But I forgive you. They were all Christian. Yeah, and they so did this is this. to my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I had to ask myself, how do I forgive? And do I forgive? Or do I just forget? Or do I just let put aside and simmer? Um, yeah. Because that story really bothered me. He didn't respond to anything. As far as what I've been able to read so far, he didn't respond to any of it. He just basically kept his eyes downcast in court while being sentenced. And my brain, is it necessary to have someone admit that they did wrong to forgive them? Because is forgiveness just for yourself and for your community? Or do you need that person to admit it, that there was a transgression, a crime? Yeah, so um, that's that's actually yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Travis. Uh, no, no, no. Please jump in. No, I, I spoke a lot already. Well, that's my one issue so far with what you talked about in setting up. Uh, and I think you're, I think you're mostly right in setting up this uh, this uh, uh, sort of rhetorical scaffolding uh, in which Christianity has better mechanisms for getting mm-hmm. at. Uh, forgiveness than secular progressive culture does. I kind of think, but here's the problem, and I think Stephen just identified it. The problem with the kind of, and I'm just going to talk about Christianity, right? I'm just going to bracket aside Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, blah, 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 um, for a moment, because this is the religion I'm most familiar with. The Mm -hmm. problem with it for me is that it doesn't ask the wrongdoer to do anything. The forgiveness mm. is really just super one-sided. So it's about this uh, this idea that you know the template, the model okay. for forgiveness is Jesus, and you know He forgave us all our sins, even though we're these extra uh, horrible people who crucified Him, who sin every day, who um, are full of pride and gluttony and lust. Um, uh, don't deserve, you know, the the munificence of of this of this God that Jesus forgives us anyway, right? So, mm, right. There's a way in which, as abject as you get, Dylan Roof abject, right? Dylan Roof, like murderous asshole who was not moved by the testimony of these people forgiving him. It's okay because as abject as he is, um, as, as revolting as he is, that's how we are in the eyes of God. So forgiveness, okay, we can do that. The problem is you don't actually move towards any sort of real understanding with the wrongdoer, and you don't move to any sort of reintegration into the community. Mm. So to me, what I hear you both of you describing is retribution. You want tribute from that person. You want them to pay a price for what they've done. So fine, that is what we have. And so, but there is a cost. I mean, there's a cost for that. Like, I don't think forgiveness is about the other person at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even a little bit. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about you and I think it's about your community. Like, it's... and I mean, you, you you can, I think that itself can become pathological and you can take it too far and you could end up being kind of a doormat and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the material world. So there, nothing is for free. There is no utopic version of it. Everything requires some kind of balance. So mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that 
I'm not even in all cases would not be for restorative justice. I think there are instances when people are incorrigible and, you know, you retribution is all you have because it's a violent universe and that's just what you've got. So, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that there ne- we need to be somewhere on the scale that isn't fully weighted on one end. And, mm. and, and I just, I, I mean, obviously it was, it was a leading question because I came to it with a particular feeling, but I don't see restorative justice and I'm, I'm with you, Stephen. I actually, there've been lots of, you know, on an individual level, there's lots of examples of restorative justice being very powerful and effective. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And certainly on a communal level, there are lots of examples of restorative mm-hmm. justice being very powerful. Yeah, I don't see it anywhere on our radar as progressive secular as secular progressives right now like i just don't like it is you know you're out with your dousing rod looking for water i don't see it anywhere on social media on in popular mm. discourse on in major media outlets i'm sorry go ahead well no no you're right i think you're you're mostly right i want to say though that two people on this podcast have some idea of what restorative justice is precisely because we did encounter it in our professional lives. So mm-hmm. Stephen did in encountering uh, this uh, professor uh, uh, on his way to a uh, conversation around archives at Penn State. I did because I was investigating last year mm-hmm. um, some programs that artists are involved in that are about uh, preventing recidivism. Um, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. what was it? What, they, what did they call it? They, they're called, um, crap, there's a particular term they have for these programs that are sort of, um, um, there's a, there's a word that means like they prevent them from prevent these kids who like jump turnstiles or whatever, mm-hmm. um, engage in petty theft, nonviolent crimes, prevent mm-hmm. them from getting into the school to prison pipeline. Right. They are, mm-hmm. they're called, um, I'll, I'll think of the word um, later, hopefully. But um, the Center for Court Innovation, which is a big uh, uh, professional bureau in based in Brooklyn, um, mm. is very interested in these kinds of programs. And uh, I had conversations with people who work there um, uh, about restorative justice, this whole complex of ideas. So, mm-hmm. so it exists. It's it's in the margins right now. Yes, but it but it, no, no. So it exists for the context. I mean, I agree. A, it is not widespread in any case. But where it does exist, it exists around these kind of issues. Where does mm-hmm. it exist for the historical crime of racism? Where does it exist for the history of white people on this continent? Where oh, no. That, yeah. I, where, I where's that yeah. at? <laughs> so, I, and it's fine. You, you don't want to, I mean, but. I don't want to say that it doesn't exist. I'll say that I don't see it, but I like to think that so there are people exist. who consider it's themselves white. Communities. But it absolutely like, I, I mean, feel like it's a churches, But I mean, black churches are the source of, of this narrative in the black community. Like that's where it lives. And and how is that not a more potent disinfectant for the history of racism than our current approach? Well, see, I was going somewhere else because I know okay, that I just so the other Oh, no problem. No, no, the other place. I, please there. hold a bookmark there. But my, the other thing I was thinking was 
So earlier when you said that there was no restorative justice, you weren't seeing it, right? There was, it existed in these, um, these other areas, specialized areas. My brain went, why would the media even cover it? <laughs> <laughs> the media needs us to always be at each other's throats, always needs us to have this thing going back and forth. So I thought about that, and then I immediately went, where are the progressive whites who are actually in, in, in investing time in similar kinds of retributive or restorative justice kind of models? And I know that they exist because I know people, they're just not in the criminal justice system. I know that. They're, that they're no, got to no, be no, they, doing no, this are. kind of work. Right. They and are. so it's about being able to... <sighs> the history of the white people in this country and <laughs> restorative justice. It... <sighs> I just feel like the, the, you know, when Clinton did the national apology for slavery, it was barely a blip reported mm. on. Um, because I don't think people took it seriously because there was nothing behind it. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I go back to restorative justice because when you say Travis that you feel like it's an individual thing, I agree with you. I want it to be a community thing because I think the benefits are so amazing, could be so profoundly um, um, moving, and also generative in terms of how we consider society. Like I said, when was the last time I heard someone apologize who I felt really felt this? And I was just referring to the media, and it was like I said with um, politicians, actors, or whatever. No, people will stand on their last, <laughs> that last bit of rock, and say, "I did not do this," or, mm-hmm. or they will, get, you know, because my job is in question, or I may not be reelected. I'll say it this way, and I felt like there was a direct line to white supremacy there. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt like, not solely white supremacy, but I was like, "Well, what feels like that?" Today's conversation will pick up next week, right where it left off. As always, thanks very much for listening.